0: Well, as I, uh, I've been saying behind the pulpit here on Sunday mornings, I am as equally excited about Sunday nights as I am about Sunday mornings. Now, I know Sunday mornings is kind of your lifeblood. It's the way that you get to address the church as a whole and really feed the church. But this is a time those of you have set aside when you could have been doing other things to come and really get fed. So you are, you are the sheep who are hungry for the Word of God. And I want to feed you as I've been fed. Uh, as I sat in seminary classrooms... Of course, there's a lot you learn in seminary. You'll never repeat behind a pulpit because it's technical language. It would put you guys to sleep. But there's other things that I learned that I got so excited. I said, if the Lord ever gives me an opportunity to teach and preach and shepherd a flock, I will share with them what has been shared with me. So, one of my burdens as a pastor has been that folks who come and join and become a member of this church. That they be well educated on what we believe as Southern Baptists and specifically what we expect here at Cedar Street Baptist Church. You have that awkward moment where somebody walks down the aisle to profess a desire to be a member and I've got 30 seconds to find out what their, what their walk with Christ is like. And then you have 10 seconds when I turn them around and offer them to you. And so this class is a way to kind of remove that tension. It's a way for me to reach out to people and say, Okay, you want to be a member? Great. Let's sit down for the next eight weeks and talk. And I want to share with you what we believe. You have plenty of uh, time to ask questions. Not only what we believe as a denomination, but specifically what we expect here at Cedar Street. So I thought the first eight Sunday nights, it might be great to teach the church at large. So those of you who are already members, you have a confidence in your pastor that you know what I'm teaching and what I expect and there's also a time to ask questions. And if there's material that you think I should add that is not in there, I'm open to that as well. So that's kind of that's where we are at. Uh, the title of our uh, prospective member class that we'll be meeting here for eight weeks and then moving on to my, uh, my pastor's office here on the Sunday morning hour is going to be CSBC and Me. And that's, the class that, uh, in, uh, that's the name of the class. It's uh, an eight-week prospective member class for Cedar Street Baptist Church. And so I thought I would start by telling you what the eight weeks is gonna look like. Each session, starting with tonight, looks a little bit like this. Session one is getting to know us. And the four questions we'll talk about are why a prospective member class? What does it mean to be a Southern Baptist? Who is Cedar Street Baptist Church? And who's Pastor Bo. Okay? Pretty simple stuff. Next week we'll start diving into the Baptist faith and message, and laying a foundation will be the title of that session. We'll talk about why is theology important? What is the Bible? And are there errors in the Bible? There are not, but I'm going to teach how we know that there isn't. Okay, week three, proclaiming the gospel. We're going to be talking about what does it mean when I say gospel? Who is God? Who is man? What is salvation? What is God's purpose in grace? Week four, being the body. We're going to say, what is the church? What are the ordinances of the church? What does it mean when we say the Lord's day? Week five will be reflecting the kingdom and we'll say, What is the kingdom of God? What can we expect at the return of Christ? Why do we do evangelism and missions? What is spiritual formation and discipleship? And then weeks eight, six, seven, and eight will look like this week six is supporting the mission, week seven is building a worldview. And then week eight is joining the family. The final week, we'll talk about our biblical view of marriage and family according to the Baptist faith and message. And then we'll talk about individual expectations where everyone can find a place to serve at Cedar Street Baptist Church because we've talked about it before. God has gifted everybody uniquely with special spiritual gifts, and those gifts are used for the edification and the building up of the church. Everybody in this room, no matter what your age, you have been called To serve the church. We just have to figure out the best fit, what your gifts are, what your desires are, and plug in. So let's jump right into session number one, getting to know us, all right? Why a prospective member class? That's a good-looking youth pastor we got there. Why a prospective member class? Well, here's what I believe. I believe that Cedar Street Baptist Church is not just a building where Christians worship. It's a family. And being a part of this family is something special. And I want everybody who walks down that aisle and wants to be a part of this family, I want them to know. I've said this in the preaching behind this pulpit. We're a living, breathing, visible visible local body of Jesus Christ who lives together in a covenant relationship to seek to glorify God and participate in the spreading of His heavenly kingdom. And with this covenant relationship that we have, you're accountable to me and I'm accountable to you. And we need to know what it is that we're accountable for. In Luke uh, 14, 28... It talks about the cost of following Jesus Christ. Jesus says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? That's what this perspective member class is all about. I've had friends share with me at other churches and other places. They've walked down the aisle, they've joined the church, and weeks later they're never to be found again. Every single Southern Baptist church struggles with that. And you know what? This class is not going to fully solve that. But someone who's committed to saying, you know what? For eight weeks, I'm coming to the Sunday school hour and I'm going to be a part of what you're teaching because I want to know more about you. The type of family that's going to come to those sessions, that's the type of family that's going to stick around once we vote them in as part of the family here at Cedar Street Baptist Church. And that's what this, is, that's what this class is all about. So why a prospective member class? Because as Jesus says, we have to count the cost. We have to count the cost and what it means to be a part of the family here at Cedar Street. Now, more specifically, what does it mean to be a Southern Baptist? I am as proud to be a Southern Baptist as I've ever been in any denomination that I have ever served in. And I'm not embarrassed to say it. Are we perfect? No. Have we cornered the market on Christianity? No. My sister uh, is a great example of a very passionate believer who is a very dedicated Lutheran. I think she goes to a great church. Ashley and I, when we're in Richmond, Virginia, we worship with her at her church. But we have very different beliefs on certain things. Uh, I've been ordained in this church as a Southern Baptist preacher. I've been educated at a Southern Baptist seminary. And I have every intention for the rest of my life to be teaching and preaching according to what we believe is Southern Baptist. So what does it mean? For those of you who are a part of this church who've never really thought about the differences in denominations, this is a great time to talk about the history of our denomination and also some specific distinctives on what it is that makes us Southern Baptist. Well, here's just a little bit of history. And by the way, let me say this. I forgot to mention this earlier. Everything that I'm teaching from is written down and will eventually be about a 70-page book. I've been working on this thing for about six months. And so, if you're a note taker, don't wear your hand out taking notes. If you have a desire, let me know at the end of this, and I'll be happy when we start printing our first copies, be happy to get you a full uh, bound copy of that. So, I want this to be a time of enjoyment and edification. If you're a note taker, go ahead and just put your pen down. We're going to go through a lot of things, but if you really want to retain this, it'd be my joy to put a full copy printed off and bound into your hands. So, So, there's that. So, Southern Baptist Convention... Well, we as the SBC, we started back in May 12th of 1845 in Augusta, Georgia, and today we are the single largest evangelical Protestant denomination in the United States of America. There's roughly 16 million members nationwide and 50,000 cooperating churches and church-led missions around the world. Southern Baptists are the biggest on the block. Doesn't make us the best, but we are the biggest. And we saw this morning the blessing of that. We'll talk in a minute about the cooperative program, but we saw this morning that we're sending people out on the mission field and they're taking the Gospels to all four corners of the earth. And that's what we're about as Southern Baptists. We cooperate with one another. We're associational people. I didn't really think about this uh, before I left here, but when I was at seminary, they talked about what does it mean to be associational? Well, think about it this way. Southern Baptists typically came from the Bible Belt South, okay, the southeastern portion of the United States. And why associations became so important is because those who lived in rural communities, when they came to town, they, they wanted to get all their business done in one shot in town. And so associations became extremely popular among us as Southern Baptists because we could show up in town, get all our business done a few days a year, and then go back to, back to our homes and do what we need to do. That's what we do as Southern Baptists. We have a convention that meets one week a year. That's pretty much when it exists to do all of the business that God has called us to do. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But let's talk about distinctives. What makes Southern Baptists different than a Presbyterian church, maybe a Primitive Baptist church, Free Will Baptist church, Methodist church? What makes us different? Well, I'm going to share with you, I think, five distinctives. Okay, let me start with number one biblical authority. Biblical authority. As Southern Baptists, we are people of the book. And this is a primary distinctive because the Holy Bible, as we believe it, is fully authoritative, it's inerrant and infallible. Inerrant means there are no errors. Infallible means it's not capable of having errors. While most Christian denominations believe that the Bible is inspiring, there are very few denominations left that still believe that it is fully inspired. In fact, the Southern Baptist Convention is unprecedented in that what happened in the 70s and 80s has never happened in any denomination Okay, back in the 1960s and 70s, Southern Baptist Convention churches began to be very liberal. They began to ordain female pastors. They began to deny certain areas of Scripture. And they said, this is not really God's Word. This is more the Apostle Paul's opinion over here. And this is God's Word here, but you can't trust this over here. And they let doubt kind of creep in. And they became very liberal. The Southern Baptist Convention uh, seminaries hired professors that did not believe that Jesus was virgin-born. But God did something in our denomination that is unprecedented in any denomination in the United States. God turned it around 180 degrees. Most of you know the great uh, Adrian Rogers, who's on the radio every week. He became president of the Southern Baptist Convention in the early 80s. And he prayed, and with him... And Dr. Al Moeller at Southern Seminary and some other key members, uh, Dr. Paige Patterson, who's now the president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, these men got together. They prayed, and strategically over the uh, five to ten year span, they began to weed out all the liberal minds in the seminaries, bring in godly men who were committed to the inerrancy of Scripture. And as the pastors were trained according to the Scriptures, the churches started turning back in the direction of the Scriptures. Now, we as Southern Baptists call that the conservative resurgence. Liberal Christians who've gone on to other denominations, they call that the fundamentalist takeover. I I tend to think conservative resurgence is a much better title for it because that's what happened. We got back to our roots. We got back to the Bible. As the world, as we see every day, turn on CNN, Fox News, whatever, The world is getting further and further and further away from that book. As Southern Baptists, we've gotten closer to the book. And we've said this is how God has called us to live, to serve, and to worship. And that's what it means to be a Southern Baptist. Beyond biblical authority, distinctive number two is believer's baptism. Okay? We have a lot of denominations that will baptize infants. Our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, they do that because they believe that baptizing infants is a mirror of the Old Testament covenant signal of uh, circumcision. They said, well, in the Old Testament, we circumcise the children, so in the New Testament, infant baptism is that sign of circumcision. We, as Southern Baptists, don't hold to that belief. We believe in full immersion and that you must be a believer in Jesus Christ prior to being baptized because the baptism is an outward symbol of an inward change. I'm looking forward to the baptisms that are to come. There's several who've professed faith and we're meeting right now, and some baptisms will come here in the next few months. But when we baptize, we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Him in the likeness of His death, raised to walk in newness of life. That is a symbol, but it's also an entry point into the church. I would not baptize anyone, my personal conviction, who has no desire to join the local church because you don't get baptized just to get baptized. You get baptized as membership and entry point into a local body of believers. And that's what we believe as Southern Baptists. Other denominations do it differently, but we believe in believer's baptism. And there's a lot of scripture that backs that up. Colossians 2.12 and Romans 6.4 are kind of the key verses that talk about our stance on baptism, And that's also the entry point to the Lord's Supper. If you want to partake of the Lord's Supper, the other ordinance that's been given to the church, according to our belief, you must be baptized into the church because that is a privilege that has been given to the church. Baptism, then membership, and then entry point to the Lord's Supper table. That's what we believe is Southern Baptist. <coughs> Distinctive number three is kind of follows into this. Regenerate church membership. When I say the word regenerate, if you don't know what that word means, that word means that your heart has been regenerated. You once were dead to Christ and alive to your sins, and now you are dead to those sins and alive in Christ. Your heart's been changed. The Bible says that you are born again. John chapter 3, when Nicodemus goes to the garden and he says to Jesus, how can a man be born again? Or how can a man be saved? And Jesus says, You must be born again. That which is of the flesh is flesh. That which is of the spirit is spirit. You must have a time in your life where you realize that you're a sinner. And you realize that you need something to atone for that sin. And you realize that Jesus is the one who has atoned for you. And your response was to repent of your sin, confess with your mouth, believe with your heart, Jesus Christ Rose from the dead, he's the savior of your life, and when you place your faith in him, you have a heart that has been regenerated. Now, as Southern Baptists, we require that prior to church membership. Okay, we require a person confess that they're believers in Jesus Christ, then an act of their confession is baptism. Then they become members of the church. It's not that way at every church, okay? Other denominations, again, do infant baptism. They welcome you into membership right away. There's other denominations that don't require baptism. As Southern Baptists, we require regenerate church membership. You must be born again before you become a member here at Cedar Street Baptist Church. In fact, when I think about this, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, it says, as Paul was addressing the church at Ephesus, he said, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's why we require that because when you come into the fellowship here, okay, you are part of one Lord, okay, we're worshiping the same Lord, one faith, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, one baptism. We are all coming into membership the exact same way, in full immersion. One God and one Father. We're coming into it together. That's what we believe. Distinctive number four is local church autonomy. Okay, We call that congregational government. I'll get to that in a minute. So all the churches in this community kind of do things a little bit different. As Southern Baptists, the authority to make the decisions for the church rests in the hands of the church. And I want to say that as your pastor, I've said this before, I don't feel that I'm called to be a CEO, I don't have to have a final stamp on everything, but I'm also not a, a chaplain, I don't just preach and go home, God has given me spiritual authority and responsibility to shepherd you. That means spiritually, when, there, when there's unrepentant sin in the church, God has called me to lovingly guide you to turn away from those sins, and God's given me the authority to do that, but as far as decisions go, major decisions in this church, I am but one of many members. That's why I was so excited when Ms. Paula Tillman was asking me about signing the church membership card. I said, come on down the aisle. I want the folks of this church to see me signing that card. My wife ended up signing it, but I wanted them to see us signing the card because I want you to know I am a member. I'm not just your pastor. I'm a member of this church, and I am as accountable to you as you are to me. Okay, and that's, and that's a big distinctive here. Now, what are the differences? Well, there are three different ways in which every church in this community does government. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because government is not one of my favorite topics to talk about. But it, if you've ever wondered, well, Presbyterian over here, you've got uh, Methodist over here, Lutheran you know, down in Statesboro, how do they all do it? Well, there's a thousand variations, but there's only three major ways a church governs themselves. And don't let the title fool you, because the titles mention a certain denomination, but each title covers several denominations. And here's what they are. Number one, okay, you have what's called Episcopalian government. Episcopalian government is practiced by Catholics, Episcopalians, Anglicans, Methodists, Lutherans, Pentecostals, and other denominations. This philosophy revolves around the idea of a bishop rule. While these denominations use different titles for their roles, each congregation is assigned a minister or priest or rector by a ruling bishop who oversees several congregations under the umbrella of a governing diocese or senate. Here's what that means. At the very top of a church that is Episcopalian-led, okay, you have a diocese or a senate, And they basically tell the bishops what to do. And then the bishops oversee several different congregations. And they tell the congregations what to do. And they place at each congregation. Again, we mentioned before, it could either be a priest. It could be a minister. It could be a rector. But the priest or rector, whoever is responsible to the bishop, and the bishop is responsible to the synod. All right, So there's a three or four tier system. Every church is a little bit different, but you have... You have Episcopalian government, then you have Presbyterian government. That's the second one. And instead of bishops who rule, they have elders that rule. Okay? A Presbyterian form of government is practiced mostly by Presbyterians, Christian Reformed churches. You also have uh, Primitive Baptist churches, and then some non denominational churches. And they do it all differently. Some have a ruling elders in just the local church. Some have elders over several different churches. But when you think of Presbyterian, think of elder rule. Elders make all the decisions. Elders are the ones that get the job done. Then you have third, and that's what we are, congregational government, local autonomy. Local autonomy means God has given us the responsibility to govern ourselves. We call this the priesthood of all believers. All right, we ourselves are priests. In the Old Testament, the Levites, of course, had to stand on behalf of the people of Israel and give sacrifices and do those types of things. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ himself is our intercessor, seated at the right hand of the Father. As it says in Hebrews, he is our high priest. But he has assigned us... What we call the priesthood of all believers. We should have the ability to govern ourselves. And that is what God has called us to do. That's what makes us uniquely Southern Baptist. Now, I have friends of other denominations who would disagree with our interpretation. I had one friend who's a pastor of a non denominational church, and he said, Well, democracy is a great way to govern yourselves as a country, but not as a church. He said, there's nothing in Scripture that says that. Well, I would tend to disagree. I spent a whole semester studying this, and I think there's a lot of biblical examples of how God entrusted the local church to govern themselves. Now, I will, I will say this. I do think that there are different roles within the church that can change from a Southern Baptist church from one to another. Uh, there's a lot of Southern Baptist churches that are starting to elect elders not to rule the church, but to lead the church spiritually okay? Biblically speaking, deacons are called to meet the physical needs of the church and elders are called to meet the spiritual needs of the church. But here's what happened in the Southern Baptist churches in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. You had a lot of churches like Cedar Street, plants of other churches where their, their congregation wasn't that big. And so to be able to properly govern, you didn't have 10 candidates to be deacons and 10 candidates to be elders, so the, elder, the deacons essentially became deacons and elders at the same time, and that's kind of where we are today. We have today at Cedar Street a traditional Southern Baptist single elder model. I'm the single elder, a pastor's an elder, and then you have the deacons. I want to let you know, as of right now, I intend to treat the deacons as elders and deacons because that's what our church is doing. I intend to to have the deacons continue to meet the physical needs but also help me to address the spiritual needs. So for the deacons of this church, I love you and I think you have a great calling on your life and I intend to lean on you, to hold me accountable and to have this church be held accountable. doesn't mean deacons make all the big decisions in terms of are we going to get a lawnmower or a church van or those things. We have committees in place that do the research. We have the church that makes the final vote. But when it comes to meeting physical needs... And dealing with spiritual needs, because we have no elders, the deacons are serving as deacons and elders. And maybe 10, 15 years from now, God blesses this church and we become big enough that we can elect deacons and elders. And the deacons will just meet the physical needs and the elders will meet the spiritual ones. But as of right now, this is who we are and this is how we're going to do church government together. So that is church government. Well, let me talk about distinctive number five, and that's evangelism and missions. Now, every denomination that I know that's a Protestant evangelical denomination does evangelism. Evangelism simply means you go out and you share the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is the way in which God has ordained that people come to salvation by grace through faith. Salvation by grace through faith is an act that is always initiated by God and His sovereignty, but it always takes human responsibility. God said the way in which people would come to salvation is through the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, how will they know if they don't hear? And how can they hear if no one preaches? We must preach the word of God. We must take it to all four corners of the earth. We are serious about the Great Commission as a Southern Baptist church. I was so grateful this morning for the missionaries that came and and shared their testimony. You know, this couple, the the father was a a football coach and a high school teacher, and, and the mother was a graphic design artist in a traditional Southern Baptist church where there was never missionaries commissioned. But God called them. They were obedient to the call. The church commissioned them, sent them to seminary, and now they're serving on the mission field. And, And that's what a church is called to do, replicate itself. You here at Cedar Street, we are a part of a church replication. We are a plant of First Baptist Church, and this is where we are. We are called, as we continue to grow, to go out to share the gospel and continue to plant other churches. And I believe it with all my heart. God is still in the business of multiplication. He can multiply his kingdom here in this community. Cedar Street could get to the size where God would raise up a pastor out of this church and a new church be planted and this community experience a revival. But Southern Baptist churches are passionate about evangelism and missions. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of the Great Commission of Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. We read this this morning. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Dustin gave me a great nugget, man. I wish I had this this morning. So I told you the story about how um, we had an Asian student with the last name Lo, and the, pastor, the professor always said, Lo, I am with you always, whenever he called attendance. Well, Didn't you say that uh, someone told you they never got in an airplane because they knew Jesus was always low and not high? Low, I am with you always. You never said, hi, I am with you always. So I love that. uh, I'm going to be using that in future messages. So so fifth and finally, evangelism and missions is a distinctive with us as Southern Baptists. So who are we at Cedar Street Baptist Church? We got three pillars of the church right here. Three men who've been a part of this church an awful long time. Now, for those of you who've been in this building a while, maybe this is just a fun refresher for you. for those that are looking to join the church, here's what I want you to know about Cedar Street Baptist Church. Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church began as a missional plan of First Baptist Church of Metter in August of 1960. With the support and leadership from the Metter community, the mission immediately began to grow. In July of 1961, Cedar Street's first pastor was called, and in 1963 Land was purchased to begin constructing a church facility. In June of 1964, a groundbreaking ceremony was held for CSBC's first building, and the facility was completed one year later. And Cedar Street Baptist Church was finally constituted as a self-supporting Southern Baptist Church in October of 1964. So, since then, what's happened? Well, 1980, we got a new sanctuary. 2007, new fellowship hall. 2008, Sunday school rooms. A playground for the children. And then in 2015, a beautiful new administration building with new, the new church office and uh, Sunday school rooms, and we continue, to, we continue to grow. But let me ask you this. I said that I am now the 12th pastor at Cedar Street Baptist Church. So here's my question. I'm staring at Ronald Cardell and some other charter members here. Who is willing to stand up and see how many of the 12 they can name? And I would, I, I would love to see if anybody can do this in order. Okay, I'm the 12th one. Can anyone even take a stab at the first 11? Any, any takers? Oh, I'm sorry? He's, he was the second one. He was number two. Curtis Edwards, number one. William Garrett, number two. Wesley Arnold, number three. Who's number four? He was here from 69 to 75, so I hope he did a good job. DC Spillman. Okay, who is here from 75 to 78? Harold Burrell, correct. All right, who is here from 78 to 83? Frankie Hodges. All right, largest tenure, 1983 to 1995. James Hartley, 96 to 2002. Mark Sellers, 03 to 06. Jim Wilson, 06 to 09. Doug Gibson, 2010-2015, Casey Shaw. The average span of a pastorate here at Cedar Street Baptist Church has been 4.5 years. Longest pastorate, uh, James Hartley, 12 years. I don't make predictions, and I certainly pray for God's will that we can shatter that number. Um, this, This is a church, and I'll tell everyone who wants to be a prospective member here, Having come here at age 36, this is not a launching pad to another ministry. Ashley and I want to raise a family here. As we talked in the finance committee meeting today, you've given me a beautiful parsonage to live in, a beautiful office to serve in, a community that we love and know. We consider you family. We want to be here a long time. Now, I will say, if we want a different outcome, if we want a pastor who's here longer than four and a half years, over the course of time, we may have to do some things a little bit different but the joy and the gift of having someone as your pastor who was already here as a member years past is that I already know and love the culture of this church. It is not my desire to change the culture because I'm a product of the culture. I love the way that we do worship. We may change and tweak a few things here or there to try to better reach out to the community. Okay, As the community changes, so do we. But you can be rest assured the bow that you know is the bow that is going to serve behind this pulpit, and I will make mistakes. I've been told already a few things that I could have done a little bit different, okay? Which is fine. It means, it means the honeymoon is over. That's fine by me. However, I love you, and I am here to grow with you, and I'm here to serve with you, and I really would love to be the longest tenured pastor in the history of this church, and that's why I bring up the history of the church. Let's talk quick, quickly about the mission statement. I know you've heard this an awful lot the past few weeks. Why? Because I'm passionate about it. I believe that anyone, whether a pastor of a church or a leader of a company, you ought to know what your mission is and you ought to repeat it to the point where your, your members or your clients or your, your employees, they can, they can understand it and carry it out. Okay. So when I said it, it wasn't to be cute to have something to put on a business card. It was something to hold us tangibly accountable. Our mission statement. Cedar Street Baptist Church exists to glorify God and advance His heavenly kingdom here on earth as we surrender our heads, hearts, and hands to be transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This mission statement encompasses our holistic approach to the Christian ministry where every aspect of our individual and congregational lives are being changed for God's glory and for our good. So what do I mean by these three things, our heads, our hearts, our hands? our heads the transformation of our minds okay we talked about romans 12:2 do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of god what is good and acceptable and perfect how about our hearts the transformation of our desires once our minds have been renewed and all of our thoughts taken captive to obedience under the lordship of christ then our hearts change as we seek to grow in our desire for god's kingdom to spread to the ends of the earth. Okay, the, This kingdom of God is spiritually manifested when God's people desire to live for the glory of God before anything else in their daily lives. I think about Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 27. And here's what that passage says. As the Lord prophesied to the nation of Israel what he would eventually do for his covenant people in Jesus Christ so they could begin this kingdom life, he said these words. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's the Old Testament, book of Ezekiel. God is prophesying, one day I will send my Messiah. And when I do, God's spirit no longer will just be upon you will no longer just be beside you, but will be in you. That's what makes us different than the rest of the world. When our heads have that knowledge, our hearts begin to change. And as our hearts change, we begin to have a desire to say things we've never said, to do things that we've never done. I still wake up, still. I don't know how many months or years this will last, but I still wake up in the morning and take a shower. And as I'm getting ready to come to the office here at the church, I think, how did I become a Southern Baptist preacher? I was a sportscaster from Philadelphia. How did I end up here? Well, the short answer is the Spirit of God. I know for a fact that God called me to this role at this church, and you as the church confirmed that calling. That's why we voted. That's why the search committee met with me. The Spirit of God changed my desires. If you would have told me Ten years ago, when I first became a believer, you're going to quit sports casting. You're going to get out of professional baseball, and you're going to preach. I don't know how excited I would have been at that answer, but now I can't think of doing anything else with my life. When I'm putting messages together in the office, I can't contain myself. I'm counting down the minutes till Sunday morning. I listen to the first message on on uh, pod, on my podcast because we're on iTunes, by the way, which I'm really excited about. And I said the word excited seven times in one message last week. I'm excited to be your pastor. And you know why? Because I know it's God's calling on my life, and there's nothing better than being in the will of God. And God has a will for all of your lives as well. And you will come to know that will when your mind is transformed and then your heart is changed. And then you come to number three, and that's our hands, the transformation of our actions. Okay? If we remain obedient to the lordship of Christ and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the changing of our hearts will culminate with the opening of our hands. Throughout scripture, we see God as a creator who's always at work. Genesis 1-1 begins by telling us, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From the very beginning of time, God has been at work for his glory and our good. Once a born-again believer, God begins to work in and through believers so they become instruments of His will. Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 28 say this, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many." If the role of Christ was to come and be the suffering servant, our response as his followers is to be servants. And we serve by meeting physical needs and, of course, by meeting spiritual needs. And there's no greater spiritual need than people to know who God is. And they know God through the teaching and the preaching of the gospel. Heads, hearts, hands. This is our mission statement here at Cedar Street Baptist Church. Most of you know uh, the church ministries here, but I'll be happy to discuss them. Okay, I think we have thriving children's and youth programs. We've got Awana, which is starting up next week, Praise Kids, Flight, and we have our Cedar Street Baptist youth group, Okay, as well as men's ministry, women's ministry, and the Golden Agers. Now, I want to talk with, for a minute about Awana. I'm so grateful that uh, Ronnie and Janie Sykes and others were a part of bringing that, that to our church. In fact, this has become a, a staple program. Okay, I think about some who are in the church today because they brought their, their kids. Isn't it just amazing how God works? 20, 30 years ago, all right, it was the kids who came to salvation in Christ because their parents brought them, and now it's the parents who are coming to salvation because they're bringing their kids. And Awana is just a great vessel that God's using. Here's, a, here's another reason why, if we're going to be on mission for God, Certain things have to change. When you change a program in the church, it doesn't mean what you were doing before is wrong. It means the people who you are ministering to are different. All right, those of you who are raised up with the RAs and the GAs, great program, but Awana is reaching people. Awana is doing things that other programs didn't. It's doing a wonderful job of educating and training up the kids. And by the way, the adult volunteers who are a part of this church, I would imagine you're learning a lot by teaching. Awana is a great program. If you've never stopped and figured out what Awana stands for, the acronym for A-W-A-N-A is Approved Workmen Are Not Ashamed. And that comes from 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Awana Meets here every Wednesday night during the school year. Each meeting is divided up into segments of handbook time, recreation time, and council and Bible study time. Um, looking forward to seeing all the awards and the, and the car races and everything that we've done, the Christmas shop, um, all the different events that we do throughout the year. Uh, unless things have changed, and you know every church does it a little bit different. The standard age ranges are the, uh, the Puggles, which is the church the nursery for workers, Uh, children and those attending prayer meeting, cubbies, uh, three- and four-year-olds, the Sparks, CATA, second grade, and the TNT, which is third to fifth grade, and I think that's still kind of how we're doing it, if I'm not mistaken. Um, There's a place for everybody to be a part of Awana, and I'm excited. In fact, tomorrow night is our uh, workers' meeting, so if you thought about being a a volunteer, tomorrow night would be your time to come, and I know we'd find a place for you. What about the uh, Sunday school classes? Well, we've got 12 of them so far here at Cedar Street. We meet at 945, most of you in this room know this, I know, but this is what I'm teaching the prospective members. We've got birth to age two is the nursery, Preschools three to four, kindergarten second, Kindergarten to second grade, grades three through five. You've got middle school, high school, seekers, which is young adults, single, single adults, uh, discover young married adults, crossroads, ages 41 to 60, challengers, ages 41 to 60, lighthouse, which is 61 and up, and the Mary class, which is our senior golden age women. So as the church continues to grow and our community continues to change, so will the ministry programs at Cedar Street. But we're so grateful for the ones that we have. We've got about 10 minutes left. He may not have put that up. There we go. Most of you know the answer to this final uh, portion of our time here. But let me tell you more about me. I know we've got some guests and some regular attenders who don't know everything that they would like to know about your pastor and your pastor's wife. But uh, let me give you a word of testimony. And, if you, and when I get done here, we'll have five minutes for any questions that you want to ask, either about me or about anything we've talked about here tonight. But uh, for those of you who don't know, I've had uh, several people this week ask me. I enjoyed uh, having a long car ride with the Cardells as we went up to, uh, to the Woodards, um, to Nancy's mom's viewing, and they were asking me kind of my testimony. And I uh, was happy to share, talk about the sovereignty of God. How did a, an Italian from a predominantly... Uh, Well, a predominantly Italian neighborhood in the the south suburbs of Philadelphia, make it here to South Georgia, and then bring a few others along with me several years later. How did all this happen? Well, when I was growing up, I had two best friends, one sitting right there, 30-plus years, met him in second grade, and I will be happy to share many stories as the days and weeks unfold, (laughs) because he's already given you some of the dirt on me, apparently, I have another uh, brother, a best friend that I consider a brother, okay? Us three, we're kind of the three musketeers. His name is Dean. He's in the military. He's been serving in the Army since 98. Very proud of him. He's serving at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri in combat engineering. And anyway, he's from uh, North Georgia. And he and his family moved in fifth grade. And in fifth grade, his mother, who's a true Southern belle, made me fall in love with the South. She's a great cook. She's a woman of God, and she made me feel welcome in her home. Uh, And I just uh, remember when it it came time to go to college, God just used her and he used that family to just win my heart over about living life in the South. And I told my father, I really want to go to college in the South. And I told my dad, I don't want to go to a college in the South with a bunch of northerners. I want to go to a college in the South among Southerners. If I'm going, I'm going. All right, so I went around and looked at... Southern colleges. And if I'm being honest with you, there were two very attractive Southern bells at the Georgia Southern tent and I walked up to them and I my wife's staring at me and and I asked them, Do you have a broadcasting major? Because I knew God was calling me to be a broadcaster. And they said, We share day and handed me a brochure. And I looked at my father and I said, That is where I'm going to college. And uh, so at the end of my junior year I went on a, a summer tour and I looked at five or six colleges in two weeks and Georgia Southern was the only college uh, that I walked through in the rain. I'll never forget this. Most of you in this community know who Connie Franklin is. Connie Franklin's the first person I met in the state of Georgia when I came for a tour. And it was pouring down rain. I said, ma'am, I drove 600 miles to see this college. I intend to see it this morning. She said, come on, boo-boo. And, uh, and then she put, she put the umbrella up. She called my dad Hot Wheels. You and Hot Wheels, come on. And they showed us, they showed us the Georgia Southern campus, and I fell in love, even in the rain. The sovereignty of God. He brought me here. Well, I graduated from Georgia Southern in 2003 with a degree in broadcasting and a major in writing, and I got into professional baseball. I broadcasted for uh, many minor league organizations. I started off working with the Savannah Sand Nats before I graduated, it was a Washington Nationals affiliate at the time. Then I got hired by the Chicago Cubs in 2004, and I worked in their affiliate in Daytona Beach for two years. And then I got hired by the Oakland A's and went out to California. And I worked with them for about a year and a half. And then I came back stateside and spent a couple of months in Augusta, and God really just called me out of baseball. And I moved back up north and spent a year in Allentown, Pennsylvania, as a marketing director for a network of hospitals. It was the best paying job I've ever had, and it was the most miserable I've ever been. God was calling me back to Georgia. And so in 2007, I didn't know what God was doing. I didn't know what he was doing, but I did know this. Every night I'd go to bed and i have a dream about Georgia. And I just felt God calling me back there. I didn't have a job. I had no friends or family members down there. Everybody had graduated and moved away. I knew that's where God called me to to be. So I I put my resignation letter in at the uh, place I was working. They asked for three weeks' notice instead of two. I had a pretty prominent job, so it took several weeks to kind of get things in order. And then... In three weeks, I sold everything I could not fit in my Chevy Silverado, and I drove to Statesboro, Georgia, because it's the only place in Georgia I knew. I got a, a, an apartment for, at Parker Apartments on Main Street. Okay, Miss Parker was still alive. If you've ever met Miss Parker, she died at about 96. She rented it to me for $220 a month. And when I asked for a, uh, a receipt for my security deposit, she took an envelope and on the back wrote, Paid, says Miss Parker. So that ought to tell you the kind of place I was staying in. It was a place of, it was used furniture. It was just not the cleanest place in the world. But God used that to humble me. I bought my first Bible. Okay, I'd been a Christian now here for just a few years. I didn't know how to read God's Word. But I sat at the edge of this, this broken mattress, and I would sit there with this desk lamp on at night, and I'd read the Scriptures. I didn't know anything about what I was reading. I just kept reading the Bible. And then... I got a couple of part-time jobs. I unloaded trucks at the Walmart Distribution Center on the midnight shift, and that wasn't the most fun I've ever had, but God used that. Met some great people there. And when I got down to less than $100 left, I went to see one of my broadcasting professors. And that professor came up to me and said, what are you looking to do? And I said, I love Georgia, and I love broadcasting. Why can't I figure out a way to do both? And he said, it's funny that you say that, because I got an email today from a gentleman in Metro Georgia named Jay Franklin. And Jay Franklin is looking for a broadcaster at this telephone co-op that's looking to do local television programming. I said, that job is mine. They hadn't even posted the opening yet. I printed it off. I found out who Jay, Jay Franklin was. I got the best dress shirt I could find, a tie. I got dressed, drove down there, and introduced myself to Jay Franklin. And Jay Franklin looked right at me and he said you mean to tell me you work for the Chicago Cubs and now you want to broadcast Metter Tiger football? (laughs) And I said, this is where God has called me to be. I I want to be here. So he said, well, we'll we'll interview you. So I walk into this interview, and sitting there was George Talent, who's not there at the company anymore, but there was Scotty Davis and Eddie Jones. And they said, uh, well, tell us a little bit about yourself. And I said, can I tell you my favorite verse in Scripture? And I saw Eddie Jones' eyes get big. And he looked right at me and he says, We could talk some Bible now. (laughs) And so my job interview, uh, I gave him Philippians chapter 4 as my statement for my job interview. And I saw his eyes get real big. And in fact, he leaned back in his chair and he said, well, what else do we need to know? When can we bring him on? And so I worked here. The first day on the job was the day that Michael Guido died, February 2009. Missed him by 24 hours. But God called me to Pineland. I had a wonderful two years there as a sportscaster. And then finally, God began to really call me to ministry. I went to the Guido Bible Institute. I went there just to learn more about the Bible. God convicted my heart about ministry. And I came here to be your youth pastor. And as your youth pastor, served here a little over two years. You loved me enough to lead me to the woman God chose for me. Okay, you helped us put a wedding together in nine weeks. Don't know how, seven. Seven weeks. Still don't know how you guys pulled that off, but I can't thank you enough. You ordained me at this church. The deacons of this church laid hands on me right there, ordained me to the ministry. You voted for me to go to seminary and commissioned me for the call. You've called me back here to preach revival. You've acknowledged a calling. The search committee worked hours with me in in prayer and in discussion about what the future would look like. And then in May of this year, you voted on me to be, along with Ashley, the 12th pastor here at Cedar Street Baptist Church. So that's how I became a lapsed Catholic from an Italian neighborhood in Philadelphia to the next preacher of this church. It had to be the sovereignty of God. And, and I could say the same for the Hogers who ended up coming here to hear me give a testimony. In fact, I, t- I say this all the time. I told Joel for almost a decade to come visit me in Georgia. He'd never come. And the first time I told him not to come, he came. They drove, they drove through a snowstorm for over 14 hours to get here. And then fell in love with Metro Georgia, came back for the Bloomin Festival, and then went home and put their house in the market and sold it in how many days? Three days. Came down here without a job, both of them. She got a job, of course, at the high school. He got a job at Metro Ford. God's been using them mightily ever since. And you think about his sovereignty and all that. I, in a million years, I could not have dreamt up Doing ministry alongside my my best friend of more than thirty years. But God put all this together. God brought him here while I was gone to even show you this is not this is not my doing. This is God's. And I think he's gonna do amazing things. I'm excited for what God is doing. He and I have already started our six thirty in the morning discipleship times on Thursdays, where we're gonna walk through the Word together and we're gonna read Christian books together, and we're gonna hold each other accountable of how we're loving our wives and serving our families and serving this church. We're gonna make mistakes. But we know God's called us here. and We want to be faithful to him because he's been faithful to us. And finally, I can't help but talk about my bride. I've uh, got my, my baby coming in November. I had, I had a whole 20 minutes of dialogue with uh, uh, Selby, the reporter at the, at the uh, Meta Advertiser. And, of course, for space, she couldn't put it all in. But one thing I said that she did not put in the paper is that it takes a village to raise a child and there's no village that we'd rather have raising our child than Cedar Street Baptist Church. Our baby is going to be due on Thanksgiving, which is also our anniversary, November 24th, which is when we stood right here and made a lifetime commitment to one another. So we're really excited about that. And I've already shared with all of you in this room my philosophy of ministry that I believe I'm called to be a shepherd. And a shepherd needs to look, to know, feed, lead, and protect the flock.